Thank you, Miss Ruth, Terry. Thank you, Heather. I believe too. Amen. Those are some powerful words. I believe they have motivated evil people to do evil things. And those same words have motivated good people to do great things in life for the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you would, get your Bible out to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. If you would get a second place, please, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one near you. It's got a hard black cover. Hebrews chapter 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Though last Sunday night we broke away from our Sunday evening series uh, for a briefer than usual message tonight, we do return to that series. This is actually the ninth lesson uh, in that series on Sunday evenings on a practical doctrine that I think is poorly understood in our culture. Our culture usually fails to understand where rightful authority comes from, how rightful authority should be used, and how rightful authority should be followed. And unfortunately, failing to understand these things is hastening the deterioration of our culture and also hurting the Lord's churches. Now, I do think that a lot of believers do understand rightful authority as it is taught to us in the Scriptures, but what happens is that uh, we are all influenced by our culture, and all of our flesh hate authority unless it's our own authority. And as I've said several times through this entire series, I'm not teaching this because I'm aware of any problem here. I'm teaching this because I believe that God's plan for our home and our marriage and for his church is a great plan. I believe it helps people. I believe it leaves people more secure, and that's what I want for all of us in our homes as well as in the Lord's church. Uh, we began this series just simply talking about how God himself is the ultimate authority. But because no one can visibly see God today, nor audibly hear his voice, God delegated some of his authority to the Bible, to his written words. And then uh, he delegated in his word some of his authority to certain people in certain situations. He delegated authority to husbands over their own wives, one equal, submitting to another equal to fulfill a role designed by our Creator. He designed the authority of parents over their own children, one equal, submitting to another equal to fulfill a role designed by our Creator. He designed the authority of a pastor over the church he leads, one equal, choosing to submit to another equal to fulfill a role God established. And as I remind everyone every week when we speak on this subject, God did not give authority to husbands or parents or pastors to do what they want to do. He gave authority and delegated his authority to do what he wants done in each of those situations. And recently in this series, we have been, excuse me, uh, my voice is not good tonight as most of you know, and uh, if I cough or hack uh, or have to go to a sip of Mountain Dew, please excuse uh, me for that as far as I know. I'm not contagious uh, unless you drink out of my Mountain Dew cup. And I know that everybody wants to drink out of a Duke cup. After all, we've lost two in a row. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Um, and, and so be patient uh, with me tonight if my, my voice is not what I, I wish uh, it were. And so tonight, we have spent, after spending weeks just talking about uh, general things 
that the scriptures teach us about leaders and followers, not because it's the most interesting subject in the world, but because it is a very helpful, practical thing that we've been taught by our Creator. We have spent the last few weeks applying those principles for all leaders and followers. We applied them first in our own homes to our marriages, and secondly, we applied them to our homes for parents and children who still live in the home, and tonight we apply them to spiritual leaders, to pastors and the church uh, that they lead. And I want to tonight, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to believe God. Uh, I think we very quickly believe God when he tells us that salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're quick to believe that. I think we're slower to believe what God has taught us about how to live life. We're slower to believe what God has taught us about how to handle relationships. And our Creator is just as accurate about what it takes to have a good relationship as He is about what it takes to live forever. And by the way, there's only one way to live forever. And it's not the baptistry, it's not a Baptist church or any church. The only way to live forever is you must be born again. You must humbly believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ with a repentant attitude and he will come in your life and forgive your sins. And so I want to encourage you to believe God tonight on this subject, just like most of you have believed God when he teaches us what we need to do to be saved. So tonight, if you're able to stand, if you would stand, please, in honor of God's word. We are just on our ninth part of God's authority in our life. He said, Brother Waller, why don't you come up with a clever title? Uh, because that's like trying to get blood out of a turnip, getting a clever title from me. So God's authority, part nine. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse seven. He says, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Now remember that phrase, who rule over you, it's used three times in the Bible. We're going to read all of them in just a moment. And in context here, he's going to def he defines who he means by that. It says, which rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. And so that's who these people are. And as I've said several different times, he then is going to teach us how we're supposed to interact. Remember, when it comes to the Bible, there's interpretation. What does God mean? Remember, the Bible does not mean what you say it means. The Bible does not mean what I say it means. The Bible means what God, the author of the Scripture, intended it to mean. And wherever your interpretation or mine is not what the author intended it to mean, we're wrong. And so the true interpretation of this is linked to spiritual leaders and followers. It applies in other areas, that's an application, but the interpretation is those who rule over you who've spoken unto you the word of God. Verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. Verse 24, Salute all them that have the rule over you. 
and all the saints, they of Italy, salute you. Thank you, you might be seated. Authority in the church has nothing to do with the authority of all clergy of, over uh, all of those who are not clergy. That, that, that's not what he's talking about. This relationship, as we saw in verse 7, is to those who have spoken unto you the word of God. These people are close enough to us that we can either make their job a joy or we can make it a grief. In verse 17, it said that they may do it, they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. So these speak to us the word of God, they're close enough in life to us that we can either make their job a joy or we can make it a grief. It's also someone with whom we have a relationship that's close enough that we can salute them. In verse 24, salute all them that have the rule over you. So that salute there is like our word salutations. It means to embrace, to enfold uh, in the arms. Uh, and keep your hand there. Go back in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. By the way, Sunday nights, this is not like Sunday morning, Sunday morning. I'm just going to preach a pretty general message that applies to a lot of people. Uh, we use Sunday nights here. This is for our church family to teach deeper, more serious uh, things from the Scripture. For those who do want to have more than the basics uh, of Christianity, and I'm glad you're here tonight. A lot of places, they don't even have a Sunday night service because nobody will come back. And their spiritual leader doesn't even want to do it. Because if he wanted to do it, he'd do it no matter how many people showed up. But you're here. And so I want to help you. Uh, and so notice in 1 Thessalonians, along this same subject, in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians and Verse 12, he says here, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and to be at peace among yourself. Notice as we think about these people who rule over us being close, notice they labor among you in verse uh, 12. Notice they admonish you. Now, this section of Scripture, as I said, is most clearly directed to pastors and the members of the church that he leads, uh, but it's certainly uh, as applicable to ministry leaders and the ministry they lead. It's applicable to a Sunday school teacher and the class they lead. It's applicable to a bus captain and the bus uh, they lead. And as we've made application now for several weeks to many other areas of our life uh, indirectly, listen, our Creator has a wonderful plan for relationships in every area of our life. And in case you hadn't noticed, our culture is a mess because people do not know how to have healthy relationships, and our God has taught us a lot about it. Uh, now, there are some things that God is looking for in relationships between His people to keep things done decently and in order in his churches. Now, uh, as with all of these things, marriages and homes, what we do, it is not dependent upon what the other person does. What we do is dependent on what's in our own heart. Listen, the kind of pastor I am to Bible Baptist Church, it is not dependent upon you fulfilling your role. 
It is dependent on my relationship with God. It is dependent upon Christ in my heart and Christ in my life and whether or not I stay close to him like I ought to. The way a ministry leader or teacher uh, lead their segment of the church. It is not the fault of those who look to you if you're not providing good spiritual leadership in your area of responsibility. Uh, What you do is not dependent upon them. It is dependent instead upon Christ in you, upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything we do in life, despite the lies our culture says, is not because of what someone else does. You and I are in control of ourselves. You and I answer to God for what we do ourselves, and no one on the day of judgment will look Jesus in the face, well, I did this because such and so did that. Every one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And so just like how a leader leads is not because of how people choose to follow, how a follower follows is not, because, uh, not related to how a leader leads. Listen, a leader can make it easy to follow or hard. How a follower follows is linked, follows is linked to their relationship with Christ. And the fact of the matter is, is that God did not choose angels who would provide perfect leadership in any of these areas of life. He chose people who would provide imperfect leadership in all these areas of life. All of us, including myself, have our humanity get the best of us at times. And we will need to be yielded to Jesus Christ instead of our flesh. And we are going to need mercy from the people around us, all of us. And I hope tonight, just like when we applied uh, these truths to our marriages and a husband-wife relationship and to our homes and to a parent-child relationship when a child is still in a home, uh, tonight, I hope you're willing to hear and attempt to heed what we've been taught about our spiritual relationships. And just like it, uh, the Scriptures taught us with the husband-wife relationship and the parent-child relationship, uh, we were taught with very strong terms. They're very strong terms also that God chooses to describe the relationship of followers with their spiritual leaders in the church. So, Brother Wally, this is a self-serving message. Listen, I'm preaching the Bible. I agree it's self-serving. But it was also self-serving for me to teach that a husband is ahead of his own wife. And though my children are no longer at home, it would have been self-serving for me to preach that message if my children were still at home. I'm not here to preach me I'm here to preach the scriptures. And because when we do that, it helps and builds every area of our life. If you would, keep 1 Thessalonians 5. We'll go back to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to just first take a few uh, glances at some strong terms that the Bible uses to describe a follower's relationship with the leader, their spiritual leader, and then strong terms that the Bible uses to describe a spiritual leader's relationship with their follower, and then, uh, Lord willing, we'll make some practical applications of those things. Notice, first, for followers' relationship with their leaders, he begins in verse 7, remember them. That's the opposite of taking them for granted, ignoring them, forgetting the role and position God gave them. Notice, he continues on, he says, who've spoken unto you the word of God, it says, whose faith follow. Follow their faith. 
That word there for faith has uh, became our word for mimic. Listen, there are aspects of your spiritual leader's life that have to do with their faith. There are others that have to do with their personality. Listen, uh, I would suggest you not become a Duke fan or playing terrible. Uh, there are a lot of things that are related to the fact that I started out as a country kid in a rural area of Michigan that I did not hear the gospel when I was 24 years of age, that I lived in a fraternity house for four uh, years, that I was an engineer for 13 years as a volunteer. There are a lot of things in my personality that are shaped by my past. Listen, that's not what he's talking about. It says whose faith follow. We're to mimic, follow the things in the life of those who lead us that have to do with their faith. Notice in the verse End of verse 7, it says, considering the end of their conversation. Consider the end of what they say. By the way, that's the opposite of ignoring what they say. The end of what I have to say when I'm preaching and properly interpreting and applying the scriptures, the end is you having a better relationship with Christ. The end is you having a better marriage. The end is you having healthier relationships. The end is you becoming all Christ designed you to be. The end is you finding your natural gifts in life and spiritual gifts in the church and fulfilling God's plan for your life. That's the end. He says, listen, if you're following a spiritual leader, consider the end of what they're trying to get you to do. Uh, we don't like these words, but in verse 17, he says, obey them that have the rule over you. Quite frankly, I don't like them. Say, why? Because I don't like that kind of authority. I do believe this is very much like a husband and wife where I, I think you ought to have a very minimal amount of, quote, hey, do this. I think when you love your wife unconditionally like you're supposed to, you don't really even want to boss her around. I think a pastor, when he loves the people that look to him, he didn't want to boss them around either. I think if you're a ministry leader here, I don't think your goal is, hey, I want to boss them all around. Listen, that, that is inconsistent with you loving them like you're supposed to love them. But listen, there are times when every leader must conclude, hey, this is the way we're going to do something. And by the way, that never means they have the authority to take precedent over what God has said. But it is his instruction where God is silent. Amen. Notice, again, we don't like it in verse 17. He says, obey them and have the rule over you. Notice he says, and submit yourselves. Boy, if, if there's a word we don't like after the word obey, it's the word submit. Those are terrible words to our flesh. And this is, of course, is speaking about authority in the church. This has nothing to do with me telling you how to run your home. It has nothing for me to do uh, with how to uh, run your marriage. Listen, it is not my place to come to your house, open up your refrigerator, and throw all your cans of beer in the garbage. Though if you're asking me to police your refrigerator, I would be glad to come by and throw all the cans of beer in the garbage. That's not my place. Uh, my authority stops at the property line.
Notice also when it comes to a follower and their spiritual leader in verse 17, uh, you're supposed to make their job a joy uh, for your own sake. In the middle of verse 17, it says, they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. By the way, I'm really glad that for the most part, people here do try to make my job a joy. And I mean that. Not everybody. But for the most part. By the way, that's the best we ever get from anybody. And so just like I expect you to not expect me to be perfect, I don't expect you to be perfect. Um, make your spiritual, do you try to make your teacher's job a joy? Uh, listen, there are people in my life, and you know what I'm talking about. You see them coming, you're thinking to myself, oh, no. We're not supposed to be that kind of person. Amen? Verse 24 says, salute all them that have the rule over you. Remember that word salute. It's like our word salutations. Embrace, enfold in the arms. This is, relates to the personal way we react and, and respond. Listen, our relationship with one another is supposed to have heart. And right now, it's talking, and we'll talk in a minute, about leaders toward followers. This is followers toward leaders. Uh, listen, I know, you're supposed to have heart for me. And by the way, I, I thank God for it. I, I believe most of you do. Hey, listen, listen, no one has a relationship that goes out over a, any extended period of time and has, doesn't have moments when, you know, you want to just choke them. But, but the general characterization of our relationship should be heart. By the way, it just reflects the love for one another we're supposed to have as followers of Jesus. And, and I know we read these instructions for followers and their spiritual leaders, and it's contrary to our culture. It's contrary to our flesh. And, and I also know these are really hard when you've been burned. Uh, if you've been, a, uh, when I got saved almost 40 years ago, I, I, I got saved and I thought, wow, man, everybody in church is spiritual, godly. Uh, uh, no. Church is not a place where everyone has it together. Church is a place where people go who want to be better than they are now. And when we understand that, it will really help us because what that means is a lot of people who want to be better than what they are now at that moment are not going to be in a good place. And so if you've been burned, these are hard things. And listen, uh, there's some pastors do some really dumb things. By and large, pastors are good men. By and large, they're sincere, godly men. But listen, they're still just men. And every basket of apples has bad apples. And again, I thank God for you. I can genuinely look out at you tonight and say, you know what, I feel blessed. I do. First Thessalonians 5, keep Hebrews 13 because he gives us some more instruction to spiritual followers and their relationship with their leaders. In verse 12 there, he says, 
Uh, we beseech you, brethren, know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Uh, know them. Uh, learn how they think, why they do what they do. Learn how they respond. Learn what parts are their personality and what parts are their faith and what parts are worth duplicating. Know them. You know, every pastor worth his salt is a very busy person. Can I just tell you, I always have time for you to ask me a question. Always. Most people just don't ask. The problem is not that no one wants to answer. The problem is we don't really want to ask. <laughs> in verse 13, he says, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Listen, I am not worthy of your esteem. I'm a sinner. I'm saying my grace, the very best I provide is an imperfect but sincere example of a spiritual follower of Jesus. I'm not worthy of your esteem. You don't esteem me for my sake. You esteem me for the sake of the office in which Christ placed me. By the way, I'm not complaining. I feel esteemed. These are really strong terms. And with equal strong terms, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 13, uh, God is going to instruct spiritual leaders. Remember, we took these strong terms and, and we talked about how they apply to other relationships, but first and foremost, this is an a, a instruction on our relationship with our spiritual leaders, with us and our pastor, with us and our ministry leader, to a lesser degree. Notice he instructs the leaders, and he says in verse 7, remember them which have the rule over you. A spiritual leader is supposed to provide leadership. It has nothing to do with dominate, disrespect, or treat like a child, unless you're leading children. Uh, but I'm supposed to provide leadership. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you're supposed to provide leadership in your class. If you're a youth worker, you're supposed to provide leadership with the teens. If you're a bus worker, provide leadership on your bus. Notice you're supposed to, according to verse 7, it says, who have spoken unto you the word of God. First and foremost, if you're a spiritual leader in this church, you're responsible to speak the word of God to those who look to you. I don't mean you just show up to your five-year-old class and you read the Bible for 20 minutes to them. Duh. You find something from the word of God and you make sure they hear it, you help them understand it, you help them apply it as a five-year-old, that's your job. Just like it's my job to speak the word of God to you when you come here. Notice in the end of verse 7, it says, whose faith follow. If you're a leader, you're supposed to have faith that can be followed. Faith is not something we express to get saved and never express again. Faith is something that is expressed throughout our life. I don't care what position you're in here, you need to be living by faith. And the people who look to you ought to be able to see some evidence of faith in your life. Listen, uh, it'll be time for me to be done when all I have is stories of the past instead of vision for the future. Bible Baptist Church doesn't go forward because of the past, we go forward because of faith of God for the future. 
Notice at the end of that, uh, if you're a leader, you're supposed to have the right end for your people, considering the end of their conversation. If you're a spiritual leader, your end should not be your glory. Your end should not be their submission. Your end should be their good. You ought to desire their growth. You ought to desire their knowledge. You ought to desire them to be better than they are. You need to see something in them and in the future, and that needs to be the end of your conversation and instruction to them. And in verse 17, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. A watchman was a guard. They stood on the walls of the city, and they watched for danger out in the distance. And it is your job as a leader and my job as a pastor here to watch for your souls. When watchmen were negligent or people ignored the watchmen, people got hurt. Never really thought about it, how it's supposed to work. You and God are supposed to be watching out for me. And me and God are supposed to be watching out for you. Isn't that an interesting thing? and goes together really, really well. Which gets us to how do we apply this? What does it mean to me? And certainly we could spend weeks, I just cut a half a page of notes out, say why, I wanna stay late. No you don't. Um, Because I wanna get to the practical application because you could go to 1 Thessalonians chapter five and and basically find those same instructions for leaders that are in Hebrews 13. So in light of these strong terms, I want to just give us some practical help. Listen, you're back here tonight. A part of your desire is to have a good relationship in the Lord's church. I want a good relationship with you. I I get it. To some of you, I will always just be your preacher, and to some, I will be your pastor. I'm fine with that. I really am completely fine if you love Brother Joe or Brother Josh or Brother Stephen more than me. That's okay. I uh, I can't give you the attention I wish I could give you. Just have me somewhere on your list. And so I want to give you just some practical applications of these strong terms to help us in our relationship and our relationship with spiritual leaders. Here's the first thing. Love and forgiveness should prevail. It's not an accident that Jesus said on his last night, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. It's easy to say and easy to sing about, but when it really matters is when we disagree. When something doesn't go the way you think it should go, when you're not handled the way you think you should be handled, when something happens, listen, love and forgiveness for one another need to prevail. Uh, because we're people, and though by and large, this is a pretty peaceful ship. Listen, there are regularly issues between people. So, ah, in a church like this, listen, you don't get along with your spouse all the time. Why would we get along in the church all the time? I mean, duh. I mean, always among my first prayers are, God, please cause love for you and love one another to prevail in this situation. Let me ask you, do love for one another and forgiving for Christ's sake characterize you here? Do they characterize the way you handle me? 
They characterize the way you handle people who look to you. You expect things from others you rarely do yourself. By the way, I understand if you ever come to me and the first part of your sentence to me is those people, blah, 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 I've already got a red flag up. We are those people. Here's a second practical help. Number two, all leaders need to set the pace for those who look to you. Paul said in Philippians 4, 9, those things which you have both learned, received, and heard, and seen in me do. Listen, the work of God is not a general directing a bunch of privates. It's a bunch of sergeants among the people. God's work is not effectively done by those who sit and watch and tell others what to do. It's done effectively by doers, by good examples. And listen, if you're a leader here, mark it down. God expects more from you as a leader than he does from those who look to you. Here's number three. Leaders should use your position and gifts to lift those who are weak and discouraged and falling. Listen, if God has gifted you, that's why he gifted you. He didn't gift you to exalt yourself. He gifted you to lift those who are less gifted. If you have strength, God didn't give you strength, so everybody looks at you and says, wow, they're strong. God gave you strength so you could look at the weak and say, hey, come on. We're here to lift and build others. And the fact of the matter is, is the very best leaders at times are tired and weak and at the end of their rope, and they need some follower to lift them, and the very best followers at times, no matter how good they are, are tired and weak, and they need a leader to lift them, and you'll never do that if you are distant. You need to be among those. You try to help. You know, I think most of us understand the importance of warmth and graciousness, and I think we underestimate how important it is that we each show it. Let me ask you, when you come here, is really, when you come here, do you ever seek to lift or be warm to anybody outside your family? Anybody outside your circle of friends? You know, I think sometimes we forget, and and many of you were not like this. You grew up in church. I was not like this. When I was 24 years old, uh, I got saved. I came to the church. I had no family, no friends. Thank God people just were warm to me. Many of them, they didn't have a position, they didn't have a title, but they made me feel welcome. Listen, everybody here can do that. Listen, if you're a member here, you're in a position of strength, and God expects you to use that strength to lift the weak and the fallen. Here's number four. Make the effort to build and support those in leadership over you and your children. I've said this many times, I'm going to say it again. When we tear leaders down, we're tearing down our own potential. You tear a leader of your children down, you've tore down the the, the potential of your child. Our society is so dumb. I mean, basically what they have done is tore down everybody and everything, so now no one has anybody to look up to. It's terrible. Listen, we don't look up to anybody that we, like we look up to God. We don't look up to anybody like we look up to the Scriptures. Uh, Christ and the Scriptures are the only perfect 
things around. But, but listen, it is good to have some people you look up to. And quite frankly, anyone who leads needs your grace and mercy at times. Are you going to give it or lash out? Well, I feel like, well, no, okay, following your feelings, that's bright. Here's number five. So how many do you have? Eh, about 70. I'm lying. Like a rug. Here's number five. Allow yourself to trust people. You'll never have any healthy relationships if you can't learn to trust. Don't trust anybody like you trust God. But we have to learn to trust people. Uh, I know it's really hard for some people. There have been some people who have been betrayed by those they should have been able to trust at every level. I, I know that. My heart breaks for, for you. It really does. But understand that if we don't learn to trust people, and it's learned behavior for many of us, trusting someone is not natural for me. So some of you are, are natural trusters. I'm not. Some of you are natural believers. I'm a natural skeptic. But it is good to learn to trust some people and believe in some people, not like we believe God, but it's good to learn to trust people. Trust leaders, but don't expect your leader from your leaders what you can only get from Jesus. It's okay for a follower to believe in their leader. It's okay for a leader to believe in their followers. Listen, uh, many of you here, I, I believe in you. I really do. Our faith should be in God, but we must trust people to some degree. It's part of a healthy relationship. Here's number six. And by the way, I actually only have eight. It's a good, it means you're almost done. Practical applications of our relationship as spiritual leaders and spiritual followers, as our relationship as me, as the shepherd here, and you as one of the sheep that said, you know, Christ has led me here. Here's number six. Pray for one another. I hope the names of every one of our pastors and staff and deacons are on your prayer list. If you're here and you have children, I hope every one of the people that teach your children, I hope by name they're in your prayer list. If you're here and you're in a position of spiritual leadership, you ought to have the name of anybody who looks to you in any way. It ought to be in a list, and you pray for them by name. If you're a member of Bible Baptist Church, I have prayed for you by name at least once this week. If you're on, uh, if you're on any kind of a leadership role here, I've prayed for you by name at least five times this week. Say why? That's what we do. To pray for one another. Teenagers, you pray for your youth, youth leaders? You don't think they need it? Pray for your parents? It's much harder to be a careless critic of those for whom we regularly pray and deeply love. 
Here's number seven. Just practical applications. Remember, the words that God chose to describe our relationship with our spiritual leaders, they're very strong words. Both the follower toward the leader and the leader toward the follower. Very strong words. How do we apply them? Here's number seven. Don't feel like you need to correct every fault and mistake. Listen, there are times when godly people need feedback and input, even if it's negative. But err on the side of giving someone grace and mercy instead of bringing up every fault and flaw. There are far more times when we should just keep our negativity and criticism to ourselves. Have you ever thought about it like this? When someone who follows you or someone who leads you make a, make, make a mistake, have you ever thought about it like this? What is God trying to teach me in their error? Isn't that an interesting thought? See, so we're really interested in what God is fixing in their life and what needs to be corrected in them. Have you ever, has it ever entered your mind? What, what is God teaching me? Do you look at the failures, failures of others as lessons for you? Maybe God's trying to teach you how to handle yourself as a Christian when someone around you fails. And lastly, that's good news. If you can't fulfill your role as a godly follower, just quietly leave without tearing something down. Uh, listen, go to a different Sunday school class. Work in a different ministry. If you're that fed up for me, with me, find another Bible pastor and follow that man like you're supposed to follow that spiritual leader. You know what I've found? Is that it's the same everywhere. The names change. The faces change. But when you go somewhere else, you'll face the same exact thing with someone else and you're going to either decide I'm going to deal with it or you're just going to move on again. And that's bad for you. I never want to do anything that might hurt one of the Lord's churches. Listen, he describes the local church as his bride, as his body. I mean, when I hear stories of some believer getting mad or alleged believer getting mad and flying the bird and posting on Facebook about who did this or who did that, I think to myself, I would hate to be in your shoes when you face Jesus. I never want to do anything that might tear down someone God has called, even if God hasn't called me to follow them. Listen, just because a church is good, that doesn't mean it's the church you belong to. I would never want to tear down a church, even if it's not the one I'm called to be a part of. I would never want to be a part of tearing down someone God has called, even if I'm not called to follow them. I never want to do anything 
that might hurt one of the Lord's people. When you hurt one of God's people, you hurt Jesus. It is a huge deal. When Saul of Tarsus was traveling to Damascus and was privileged to see the glory of God, knocked him to the ground. He wasn't on a horse. Knocked him to the ground. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? What he was doing to the Lord's people, he was doing to Jesus. And that simple thought will completely transform how we handle those we look to for leadership and how we handle those who look to us for leadership. God has a great plan for his church. By the way, you may not appreciate it if you've never been anywhere else, but, but you know, God has done a great thing here. Flawed, imperfect, many things I wish were better. But by the grace of God, we're blessed. And because of a basic, sincere attempt to follow these things, we're secure. Amen? And that's a good thing. Be quietly stand.